0: Thousand feet up, breaking all the lights on the doors, and I ain't seen no ceilings. We came in through the top floor. (laughs) Three R's rip right round your jugular. jugular. Three R's rip right round your jugular. Three R's rip right round your jugular. Three R's rip right round your jugular. Welcome to Feminist I Killjoys to York, PhD, pack, right, and our pop culture, the of feminism, and politics is discussed by two new professional new Killjoys. And so and well I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody.
1: And on today's podcast, we'll be talking about the basics, or sort of like the terms that we use on the show and a little 101 on what we mean when we say those things. We realize that sometimes the vocabulary and terms and concepts that we use aren't widely known and so we want to make sure the podcast is more accessible to people even if they don't take feminist theory courses or sit around in lefty activist communities. So that's what we're going to do today and I'm stoked. Uh, Before we get into things Mel, can you tell us tell the listeners where they can find us on
0: social media? Yes we are on all the great social media sites except Instagram. So you can find us on Twitter at feminist killjoy phd so you gotta do the acronyms f k j under slash phd we're also on facebook just search for us you'll find us there we're on soundcloud we're also on itunes now and so you can subscribe and we'd love it if you could leave a review we've already got some reviews up there which is really exciting um we also have our website which is feminist killjoy's podcast wait did i just screw that up rachel Feminist, no, that's right. All oh, right, Feminist Killjoys Podcast.com. Podcast 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 I wasn't sure if you threw the PhD <laughs> in there or not. Nope. I should know my own website. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we're on all those things. So reach out if you have questions. Oh, we also have a Gmail account. So if you have questions that you don't want to post in the public sphere of the internet, you can do Ph.D. at gmail.com and we will read them and respond with vigor. Mm-hmm. and I think that's it so we'll keep reminding you where we're at online but we are around on the social media sites. so come find us and we often look really good on the internet Rachel makes us look fabulous in picture <laughs> so thank you for that you make it look you make it easy Mel oh pictures of you thank you Aww. we take the pictures together it's true so um how are you Rachel what's going on uh, I'm great. I'm
1: in Ann Arbor, uh, visiting my partner who lives in a different city than me in Ann Arbor. And, uh, it's been a good week. Uh, it's my spring break. Uh, we got to see Angela Davis live in person. I think it's cool. Angela Davis, I think has made it on our podcast like every single episode, which is really oh, no. cool. And I got to see her speak and it was amazing. Um, and yeah, and I'm just, uh, trying to relax a little bit also trying to work and, uh i saw the movie tangerine finally which i was excited about one of the only films about trans women that's actually performed by trans women so i was really glad to see that movie finally um and yeah it's been good
0: uh what about you how's your week I just love that your spring break is, like, based on Angela Davis. That is usually not the <laughs> typical spring break theme.
1: It's true, but that is definitely the highlight
0: of my spring break. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure, as yeah. it would be mine as well. Um yeah. Oh, well, you know, the thing that's been on my mind the most is I found out at my school, I was – my school has its problems. I just found out the other day I was in a safe space training, and I found out that we have some single-stall bathrooms, and I didn't realize – I always use the gendered, like the non-gendered one, but I forgot that we have a few that are still gendered, like single stall, and it says man or woman. And mm-hmm. I realized that somebody had just asked the school to change that, and they said no. They said no wow, to that's... making them gender neutral. And I almost lost it in the safe space training. I was like, yeah. what? And so that... um, kind of inspired me to create a new segment in which I would like to call Who's Ruining What? Uh, Because when the same day that I found out about this bathroom thing, I found out this is actually a huge issue in Minnesota and across the nation.
1: So Mm -hmm. and Rachel,
0: fill in the gaps if if I'm not getting everything correct. But across the country now, there seems to be an increase in legislation in which um Republican politicians are trying to push through laws that would make it so trans identified people would have to use the bathroom of the biological sex that they were assigned to at birth. Um, And we can get into all of that. Um, And there's a lot of panic Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of panic in the Republican side about trans people using bathrooms. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so a lot of it is like framed as like, Transgender people are ruining the bathroom and locker room experience for people. But, Rachel, we're making, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's
1: exactly right. I'm just going to jump in to say, you know, this idea that somehow they're making it unsafe and, so, and thus ruining the experience. Like, like thank said. you.
0: Yes, unsafe, yeah. um, deviant sexual behavior may take place, I guess. Um, right. But, Rachel, who is ruining what here?
1: Oh, that is a, there's a clear answer to that, Melody it is not trans people that are ruining the bathrooms. It is uh, conservative and cisgender people who are trying to keep trans people out of bathrooms that they should have every right to go to. Um, You know, there are zero reported cases of trans people harming people in bathrooms, but there are a gazillion cases of, and we can put at like better statistics than a gazillion, but many, many cases of trans people being harmed in bathrooms. Mm. And so clearly they are not the ones ruining anything. Um, it's, it's the conservatives that are ruining uh, the bathrooms, not trans people.
0: Yeah. So this is a heavy topic. Um, it yeah. makes me very angry and it's uh, making yeah. me upset that it's happening at my school too, that like, so quickly they can just say no to having gender neutral bathrooms and given our topic today, I'm not going to dwell on this and we can maybe use it as an example as we're going through some of our big terminology today to kind of mm-hmm. talk about um, like why, why this is an issue in the first place. So where does this panic come from? Um, mm-hmm. Cause I just want to like remind people that like you go to bathroom with trans people all the time. Like you just, right. Or cis people do, you know what I mean? Like they don't real yep. just like, and I mean, we can get into this later, but, like, the from what I've ed- I've educated myself, I've talked with a lot of trans people, and, like, going to the bathroom is, like, a really hard thing sometimes because um, if you're not – just because of the way that uh, – do you want to speak to this, Rachel? I'm, like, in a rage mode right now, so I like feel like I'm going to start screaming, but.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is a really good transition into one of the first terms we want to explain. But, okay. But, yeah, I mean, trans people uh, – there's you know there's a phrase that in the trans community called trans bladder which means mm. that you just get used to having to hold your pee because Thank there's you. never safe spaces for you to go to the bathroom particularly um if and when you're in a, you're at a point where you don't necessarily pass and, and where you get you know mean looks when you go into the bathroom of the bathroom that you identify as um you know if if there's a trans man who goes to a bathroom that only has a urinal then they like Sometimes literally can't go to the bathroom, mm-hmm. you know, depending on whatever sort of um way that they are able to and and want to to pee um so you know when you don't even have the option of a sit of a seated toilet so yeah i mean it's it's incredibly it's one of those things that like is one of those we've talked about you know women being afraid all the time as just like the norm you know trans people it's kind of some in in some many instances and particularly you know I would say. Uh, it, it, in particular, geographic locations, you know, sometimes it's going it, to, it'll, it'll vary depending on time, place, whatever. But it's an incredibly stressful, stressful thing. And it's something that cisgender people that, and that's a term we'll define in a moment, uh, it's something we take for granted that like you can just go to the bathroom. Like my biggest stressor is if like there's a porta potty, but because I don't want to, because I'm a little, like legitimately a little bit germaphobic. But like otherwise, like I don't think about, I don't have to stress out about going to the bathroom because I know that I'll have a place to go. Um, but that's not—that's a luxury. That's a—that's a privilege of being cisgender. So, um, yeah, I think it's awful. I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's awful, and it's—and it's really interesting the way that it's happening. These legisla- these policies and legislation are happening um, in light of the election, and just the way that, um, honestly, all, both the left and the right. In terms of mainstream politics, have used fear, but particularly the right is really good at using fear as a way to galvanize people to um, right-wing causes and politicians. So it's not a coincidence that that this is happening, um, you know, in our in our current political climate. But why don't we transition to? Explaining sort of unpacking this a little more, we just use terms like cisgender, we're talking about trans people. Like, yeah. Mel, one of the first things we wanted to talk about was a gender binary. Do you want to sort of explain what that means and maybe how that's related?
0: Yeah, so a uh, gender binary is this understanding in society that people are either male or female. And that there's no kind of in-between. And so we're often... Things get gendered very quickly in our society. And a perfect example of this is kids' toys. And so um, not only are kids supposed to be of, like, a gender... You're either, you know, boy or girl, male or female. But that you're also um, societally instructed to only play with certain toys. And sometimes it gets down to the color, right? So girls' toys are pink and boys' toys are blue. And so when we grow up in the society that really likes to put us in a category right like when you see a baby one of the first questions that gets asked are like oh is it a boy or a girl there you go you know from day one Mm -hmm. this like binary of either or um is instilled in people Mm -hmm. and so then when people who don't there are a lot of people out there who don't feel like they fit into either or, right? They're a little blend of, you know, they're feeling there. There's this thing called the spectrum in sexuality and other things, you know, that you can, you don't really strongly identify with one gender. But if you're growing up in a society that is so binary, then that creates problems, right? And so the bathroom is a perfect example. So you either go into the men's room or the women's room, right? Well, yeah. what if you're a woman that's like pretty butch and most people would kind of read you as a, a dude and you don't mind that, you know, you're going into the women's room and people are automatically reading you as not woman, you know, and mm-hmm. so it causes backlash. And the same with um, going into the men's room. I don't have this experience. I just hear it through stories, you know, but if a man is dressed up pretty femmy with his, you know, his bra and boobs on or something and he's got, you know, um, some makeup on, but he's still um Biologically, a man. He goes into the men's bathroom. You know, there's backlash there, unfortunately, and so. But mm-hmm. it's because of this binary that we run into these issues in our society. So I'm going to leave it there. Is that a good? What do you think, Rachel? Totally, I think okay. that's great. Um, yeah,
1: I think that's a really good explanation, and just you know, just how how much we take that for granted that that we're taught this every single day, whether it's implicitly or explicitly. That that there's only two. You know, there's only two choices. And, you know, it's no wonder that that uh, so much of society is confused and scared and disgusted by and all the other things, like in response to trans people and gender nonconforming people. Um, and that maybe transitions into the term we wanted to do next in terms of uh, we throw around this acronym a lot, LGBT, and then we say queer a lot. And we heard um, we know there's at least one, if not many, and certainly many of my students listeners who uh weren't weren't aware that the use of the term queer was uh was acceptable in societies you know queer has in history historically been used um as a slur and like many many terms uh have been reclaimed by oppressed groups so um certainly some some folks will say that you know the the n-word is an is an example of a term that's been reclaimed um, and used by the group that was originally oppressed by it. Um, the word bitch is another example, uh, that people say, you know, has sort of, that pe- that women in particular, um, will use in a, in a sort of rec- reclaimed way. Um, so the term, the term queer, um, has been similarly reclaimed. And so I just want to sort of break down what we say, what we mean when we say LGBTQ and Q is the queer. So LGBT stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. The first three, lesbian, gay, bisexual, those are all describing sexuality and transgender is a term describing gender identity. Uh, in, and the term queer, so that's that's the first part. Uh, the term queer was first really reclaimed um, as a way to reassert the sort of radical legacy of the gay liberation movement. Uh, there was an organization, during around the AIDS crisis, called Queer Nation, um, and certainly ACT UP, another really important AIDS organization, um, used the term queer, uh, you know, self identified as queer, as a very overtly political label. So it was almost and and still today is currently um, used as a way to sort of differentiate between being connecting your sexuality to something political versus just you know just the sexuality and it's totally fine if people are just like i'm a lesbian it has nothing to do with politics i would argue that it it does but some people don't want to be explicit about that or don't identify you know politically in any way whereas queer is sort of embracing that no sexuality is always already political and queer sort of asserts this kind of like radical politics um it's also q the q and lgbtq is a way to suggests that there's more than just lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. Q is sort of an umbrella term that embraces any individual that falls out of gender or sexuality norms. So this could mean, say, like myself, for example, um, I've been in relationships with cisgender men, transgender men, and women. And so I don't feel like the word bisexual fits me because bi implies two. And I've Dated people and and you know been in relationships with people who I who more than two right more than two kinds of kinds of genders, so that's one reason I use queer because it describes me much better than than any of those other terms do. Um, in addition, uh, there's so much queer is so big. Um, so queer can so queer encompasses that it can also folks that maybe don't identify as transgender but maybe gender nonconforming or agender or gender fluid. Um, it really becomes a sort of uh, catch-all, oftentimes a politicized catch-all, that um, says anything that's not normative. And we can sort of unpack normative, Mel, maybe when you talk about hegemony. But uh, that's, that's a, I think, a good way to sort of explain it. Um, additionally, one more thing, in addition to uh, – sexuality in terms of gay, straight, et cetera, and, and, and gender, you can also think about this for people who are seemingly only in quote unquote straight relationships, but practice relationships in a different way. So for example, polyamorous couples might be an example of a queer relationship, even if it's a cisgender man and a cisgender woman, maybe if they're poly, there's there's sort of this queer non-normative element um, that, that, that applies to the way that they have relate to other humans um so that's that's a lot so I'm also going to stop there um and and, unless you want to add anything
0: uh the only thing that I would add um is that you kept bringing up the politicization of using the term and sometimes we'll use queer outside of uh like identifying as a sexual sexuality so like we'll say like oh, that music video was queering the narrative Mm -hmm. of women or something. And so it's often, sometimes it's taken up as honestly just a political term, like queering, meaning like pushing against the heteronormative construction Mm -hmm. of women and men in society, you know? And so Mm -hmm. adding to your definition to make this even more complex, I guess, (laughs) to cisgender people of the, you know, a a man and a woman for better or worse terms, they could have a queer relationship themselves, like within their relationship, you know? And so totally the, and some people in the queer community would argue that that's not a queer relationship. There's debate if you ever want to get down and dirty about it, but that the, I think the point here is that there's no assumptions about what people, who people are, you know, how they identify. And so um, it's kind of a nice all encompassing term for people who just don't fit into that straight cisgender normative sexuality, framework totally. um to totally. say that they're queer so yep yep yeah. and oh and just oh you go go ahead
1: i was just going to say one last thing just something that i'll link on the website on the webpage that we put up um this idea of queer politics um and and or trans politics actually trans politics is more apt for what i'm about to talk about um dean spade and many other great writers and activists and thinkers, have sort of articulated what we're talking about with this sort of political identity um, in in ways that explains it a lot better than we can do in like three minutes on a podcast. So I'm going to link to Dean Spade's book um, – uh, the, so shoot, not sh- the trouble um, something normal. Uh, I, for, I already forget the thing before the colon, but critical transgender politics and the limits of the law, I believe, is what the whole the whole title is, and it's really um, even taking queer politics even a little bit further. And so I'm going to link to that just just for more. But sorry, what were you going to say?
0: Oh, I was going to say something about the B word reclaiming the okay. word bitch. I still don't like that. I'm just going. You still don't like it? I don't. Okay, don't I like just can't magazine? like. I I subscribe to Bitch magazine, but okay. like but you don't ra- want to call another woman a bitch. I just in music or I listen to a lot of rap, and there's like right. female. Um, I appreciate when people want to reclaim that word, but I just still mm-hmm. have a, I just still have a problem with it. We can talk about it later, but I just want to yeah, say yeah, if you like... identify as feminist, it doesn't mean that you, or don't, you don't have to reclaim the word, you know, like totally, some gay and lesbian totally. people don't like the word queer either. You know, they still yep. see it as a slur. Um, and I think yep. it might depend on, on how you grew up, when you grew up, all that stuff, but
1: yeah. And I, and I'll actually say, sorry, I know we're, we need to keep going, but one other really great thing is because I actually don't like I don't love that word either, and I particularly don't like it when I hear it from men who Drake, aren't using it in some sort of Drake, reclaimed way, right? Great. Yeah, I know.
0: We're work gonna, on today, we're gonna talk
1: about, work on we're that. Work on that. But I have these great my friend Michael, who is one of my dear friends. Hi Michael, if you're listening. Um he and his partner uh, are trying, they, they, they're they they're challenging themselves to not use that word because they know mm. that it's problematic. So instead of saying bitch, they'll call people geese or a goose. Like, she's being a real goose. Can't, because if you think about geese, like, that's really what you're describing. Like, you're not, it doesn't have to be gendered. You're describing somebody who's being, like, a fucking jerk. And, like, geese can be <laughs> pretty jerky. So they call, so that's, I, so I like that. So sometimes I'll be like, wow, what a goose. So yeah, that yeah. could be the new. A new thing anyway anyway let's um let's move on i i we've been dropping the word cisgender over and over again so mel do you want to tell us what that word means
0: yes <clears throat> so if you are uh identify as cisgender that means that you identify with um the biological sex that was assigned to you at birth by a doctor so on your birth certificate they will put um male or female and so at present time, you identify with that. So I'm cisgender because the doctor assigned me as female at birth, and that's how I still identify. Um, sex and gender are different. Uh, sex is a biological thing. It has to do with your genitals and all that stuff, body parts, science. Gender is um, fluid. So you can be, you can have a vagina. I'm going to get real dirty here. You can have a vagina And kind of more identify with the male gender and and present yourself um, as more male. Um, So gender is very fluid. It can change. You can go back and forth. Sex is a biological thing. Um, And this concept of a doctor assigning you at birth seems, might be a little strange. Um, I learned a lot about this through this book called Sexy in the Body, which we'll link to. It's a really, it's like a high academic kind of jargony book, but what I got out of it is that there are a lot of instances instances when people are born in which the doctors make kind of split second decisions on what, um, biological sex to write down on the birth certificate. And a lot of people are born with, I don't know the number, but it's a lot higher than I thought. Um, it's kind of ambiguous, you know, with their genitals, what they should be assigned. And there's all the science behind it. Um, but people are often, um, yeah assigned you know a biological sex in which they end up growing as they grow into their person that they just don't identify with um and as a non-trans person i cannot speak to that experience i've just read about it but um if you're interested in that sexing the body would be a good deep book to look into but basically whatever the doctor assigned you at birth whatever on your birth certificate you identify with as now and that can change it's not permanent you know if you know in fifth you know in 10 years you could maybe decide that that's not how you identify anymore but um it's it's what you were assigned at birth the end totally yeah no that's a great a
1: great definition thank you um for sure uh yeah i have nothing else to say that was that was good thank you um another term oh i know one thing i wanted to say and i actually wanted to start with with this Um, I just feel like it's so important to acknowledge that like Mel and I didn't like invent these terms that we're not like these like holders of knowledge that are bestowing wisdom upon the, you know, uneducated masses. Like I I never want it to seem like that when we, when we posted about being like, what can we teach you? Like, yeah, technically we are teachers, but I just personally want to say that like, I'm so grateful for um, not only the books and and professors that have taught me these things, but also um, I've learned so much in activist communities. I've learned so much from the poor working class people I grew up with. I've learned so much from, you know, you know, people I taught yoga to in jails, like, you know, that this wisdom is coming from uh, sometimes academia, oftentimes political activist street communities oftentimes just oppress people themselves, like, and so we're just, like, putting names to things to help us all talk about it together in a way that makes sense. So I just wanted to sort of make a note about that. I don't know if you want to say anything about that.
0: Um, I would echo what Rachel said, and also um, my time in my PhD program in Minneapolis. Um, My time in Minneapolis, really, I've been. I've become friends with a lot of people in the trans community and I just listened really hard um, the first couple of years that I was here and I learned a lot. So yes, I echo what Rachel is saying in that um, we are, we are amplifying some things that we've learned in the streets more or less um, just having conversations. And totally. um, I've just, yeah, I've learned a lot here in the activist communities, like in, at the bike coalition, we go around and we share gender pronouns, you know, that is mm-hmm. just like something that a lot of organizations just, just don't do. And so I've been so, um, grateful to have this education given to me. Um, and I've listened and I've made mistakes. I screw up people's gender pronouns all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm learning, you know, it's a learning thing, um, especially with gender. Um, and so, yes, thank you to the Minneapolis queer community for teaching me lots of things.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I agree. I agree so okay so moving on um this is a short one but i brought I, I put it on our list because it's something that you know i hear my students sort of misuse a lot and if you're mm. not like reading or talking to the same people that i'm reading and talking to then you might be confused so we use this term people of color that's sort of um a standard ac- academic activist term to describe non-white people oftentimes i'll hear students say colored people so colored people is not an okay term anymore. That is a term that was very much used to describe, um, mostly black people, uh, in an era when, you know, explicit racism was allowed. Um, so, so this term people of color is often used in ways that, um, denote the sort of marginalized and different disenfranchised position of non-white people. So it doesn't have to be super politicized when you say it, like you'll hear, NPR, say people of color, and they might not be like being super radical about it. But, um, you know, the way I was sort of introduced to it is that it's this denotion of like, uh, noting, not only that there are non white people in the US, but like that non white people exist in, in, a, in, in a system of power that is a white supremacist system of power. So that's just a, um, you know, just, It's very common because you hear people of color, and it's like it sounds. It's the same words as colored people, but colored people is not is not okay anymore. No, and it really never was. It never was. It just was accepted. It was accepted. But
0: since we're going through the things that are not okay okay to say, to be clear, we believe that it's not okay for non-African Black people to say the N word. So that's why we're saying the N word and not the actual word. Um, Now, Rachel, is it okay? for straight people to use the word queer.
1: Oh, I think so. I mean, and maybe if I would love it if some of our queer listeners would wanna jump in on that. I mean, I'm a I'm a queer identified person and I I think it's so common now. I mean, you hear uh, you know, it's LGBTQ in a lot of like very mainstream circles, um or mainstream organizations. Uh, I think it's very yeah, I think it's gotten to the past, the point of being just about being reclaimed. I think it's a pretty commonly.
0: But in an identifying way, thing. not in like, it's still not okay to use it as like a slur by saying somebody, oh, oh he was goodness, acting no. super queer No, in, in a bad, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, No, no, no. Yeah, no. Right. Not, yeah, don't use it as a slur, totally.
1: But if you're describing somebody like they're queer, like you should, you know, describe people how they identify. You as know? they
0: identify, right. Don't identify for as them, they but I- Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Good questions. Okay. Uh, yeah. Moving on. Uh, so part of this is somewhat of a nut well, I'm going to talk about gentrification, no, gentrification. Uh, <laughs> we've been talking a lot about sexuality and identifications and stuff, but um, with it kind of connects, it does connect with people of color because a lot of my research is about this issue of gentrification and people of color And how it all intersects with bike advocacy. So I'll probably bring it up. Um, I'm also really interested in gentrifying neighborhoods. And so I might just talk about it randomly. So I will explain what gentrification is. Um, It's basically um, an economic strategy that um, goes into lower income neighborhoods. That are often populated by people of color. And kind of takes up developers will take up properties that are low value and sit on them, and then they redevelop them in hopes of attracting middle to upper class creative, educated white people. So what ends up happening is historical historically, you know black neighborhoods, Hispanic, Latino, uh, up in Minneapolis, like Muslim neighborhoods, um, because the median wealth is unfortunately lower, The property values are lower, and once neighborhoods start to get kind of, you know, vacant lots start appearing, developers snatch onto them, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, it can happen within a year. Neighborhoods flip, and all of a sudden, all these uh, richer white people move in, and then that's when you're living in a gentrified neighborhood. And I personally do not like gentrified neighborhoods. I think they destroy, you know, historical neighborhoods that have been for specific marginalized communities. And unfortunately, bicycle advocacy has played a role in uh, the bike lanes and bike infrastructure that also help recruit middle, you know, middle class creative people. So, you know, think graphic designers, uh, architects, professors like me. And rachel um they mm-hmm. want us to be in these city centers and so they attract us by having these really cute neighborhoods with cafes and um ethnic restaurants that are run by white people not the people that mm-hmm. originally made the food um there's all these little tip-offs that you're you know living in a gentrified neighborhood but the mm-hmm. real horror is that these people get then the people who have lived there for so long have gotten pushed out And there's this awesome podcast series that's out right now called There Goes the Hood, produced by WNYC. And they're taking a look at different neighborhoods in Brooklyn, New York, and how they have gentrified over time. And, Mm. you know, they take a lot of time and they interview people who have lived there for a long time. And they just they explain how they got pushed out over time. And it really has to do with developers um, pricing people out and, you know, the businesses that come in with it, the cafes and all that they're, you know, they're part of the same deal. So, um, I'm very conscious of this. Uh, I, I really make sure that I'm, you know, not in gentrifying neighborhoods, but unfortunately I am a gentrifier. And so if I do move, you know, I have to be careful where I move to, because it's like a fear of mine to be seen as a gentrifier, but, um, Mm -hmm. So that's, that's that, and I have plenty more to say, um, but I'll link to this, that podcast, because that podcast is awesome, talking about gentrification. Yeah, that sounds great.
1: Yeah. I'm glad you let us all know about that, because I would like to listen to that. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, yeah, and again, just sort of a reminder, we're going through these really fast, obviously. Like, it'd be rad if, like, the teacher in me is like, it'd be so cool if everybody had, like, notebooks out and, like, taking notes. But, Let's have a discussion. Um, but mostly we just want to do this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, mostly we just, we just use these terms so often. So this is why we're sort of running through. So another term that will come up a lot is neoliberalism. And first and foremost, neoliberalism is an economic policy. It upholds free market, free trade and privatization, and it tries to cut or entirely eliminate government assistance programs and safety nets. Um, I'm sort of reading off my cue my sheet here, but it's a good definition. Uh, this philosophy promotes individual solutions to social problems through consumption, private enterprise, or volunteering. Um, another term that you might hear in relation to this is philanthrocapitalism. capitalism. So that's a portmanteau Whoa. of philanthropy and capitalism. Um, our good friend Dana, um, who I'd love to have on the show sometime as well. Hi, Dana. Uh, she writes a lot about this in terms of the way we try to solve, quote-unquote, solve problems problems in the third, quote unquote, third world, the global south, um, by like having, you know, Whole Foods donate $2 to empower women or whatever. Um, And the problem with these things, or if we think about like, oh, the Bill Gates Foundation gave $100 million to Chicago public schools. It's like, oh, this all sounds really great. But the thing about um, and both of those things would be sort of example of like a neoliberal climate. Um, The problem with that is that it never looks at the root cause of why. For example, schools are failing or why the global South is um, impoverished. And if you look at that, the reason those things exist is because of the fact that some people in the West have massive amounts of wealth, people and the country, it's the countries itself themselves. So what this actually does is say, instead of holding the state accountable for these problems, it like says, we're going to let these like super rich people, and, and foundations and and corporations like quote unquote solve problems that actually these rich people, corporations and foundations are helping to create that, you know, they're part of the problem. Um, and then when they throw money at these things, they're not actually being impacted at all. You know, a hundred million dollars for some people is just like a drop in the bucket, which is like beyond me, but that's real. Um, so that's what this situation of neoliberalism, um, that's where it leaves us. So it's dismantling welfare and suggesting that, you know, we should solve problems through this sort of free market enterprise ethos. And, um, it's one of the most enraging things in the world. And that means that, um, so many things are getting privatized. So, Um, private prisons become a business, education becomes a business, charter schools, private colleges, even public schools and public colleges become entrapped in this, in this situation where, um, it's really the market, um, running the show as opposed to, um, social welfare programs, um, getting priority. So that's a complicated one. It's one my students always have trouble with, particularly because I'll often teach it in relationship to, um media and the way this sometimes come up in me- comes up in media is that uh, S- Lori Latt is a person in the department that Mel and I went to school at, um, and she's written a lot about this uh, in terms of how shows like Extreme Home Makeover and What Not to Wear, they're trying to solve these problems of like, um, in Extreme Home Makeover, it's like, you're poor and you can't afford a good house. So we're gonna have like ABC Disney come in and like buy you a house and like, now you're set even though that doesn't solve the root problem of like poverty in a community. Right. And oftentimes those people are left with a house that they can't even pay the taxes or bills for because they don't have the money. Um, And on what not to wear on a much lesser scale, it's like, okay, you don't know how to dress yourself because you work three jobs. So instead of like talking about capitalism and why you have to work three jobs, we're going to have rich people like buy you a closet full of nice clothes. So you can like look nice for a week. Um, and so it's just, you see the manifestation of these individual s- solutions to social problems come up in culture, um, as much as you do in politics. And so that's what we talk about when we talk about neoliberalism.
0: And that's a great, uh, I'm so glad that you brought up reality TV because the next term that I wanted to talk about, which is hegemony. So we'll often say things are like hegemonic or counter hegemonic, um, when I'm talking to my students, teaching them about hegemony, I actually use reality TV because it's a really easy way. I think it's helpful to think about reality TV as um, kind of upholding the hegemonic understanding of society. Mm-hmm. So to back mm-hmm. up a second, my term hegemony, my assigned term, uh, is <laughs> uh, it. It's basically. Hegemony is the idea that there are things in society that are just common sense, right? We have a two political party system. Um, we our, econ- our economic system is capitalism. We all strive, technically, you know, we're taught to strive to get married, to buy a house, to buy a car, to accumulate wealth. Um, those are all things that are just kind of common sense to us, right? And the thing is, is that we've been taught that it's common sense and this Hegemony is this theory that the people in power, so our government, um, the media conglomerates that run most of our media, they persuade us to buy into this common sense, to these ideologies, um, that, that... keep us in line, that keep us buying into these common sense, kind of American dream ideas. So when, you know, it's not a dictatorship, they're not forcing us into this capitalistic system, but they use tools such as the media, the media is a huge tool for this, to just create these things as common sense. And reality TV is a really good example of how this ends up happening. Um, And I love to use The Bachelor to describe hegemony, right? So... You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't think about this, but, you know, everybody's, you know, dying to get married. You know, oh, I just can't wait to get married. I'm going to find the perfect husband and then settle down and have two kids. And, you know, never mind. There's a ton of people in the society that like do not want that dream whatsoever. But we've been taught since we were little kids to get married. Right. And then on top of it. To make this seem even more common sense, we have tons of reality shows that are based on getting married in pretty problematic situations. But nonetheless, the end goal is to get married. And The Bachelor and The Bachelorette is perfect, right? So you barely know these people, but you want to get married so bad that you will, you know, compete with other people to get this bride or groom at the end that's how much Mm -hmm. and that just show that just teaches society very subtly that marriage is very important um you know a lot of movies that you'll go see you know romance is always really important you know the guy has to get the girl at the end um and so it's this just this common sense that meeting up with one other person and getting married is an end goal and to question that is you feel weird questioning it right you know if you don't want to end up buying a house people look at you kind of weird you know and There's nothing innately correct or incorrect about wanting to buy a house. We've just kind of been taught that. And so that would be a hegemonic idea. Something that's Mm -hmm. counter hegemonic is something that's totally pushing against this narrative, right? Um, I could, there's lots of examples, but like Beyonce's Super Bowl performance, I would argue, is pretty counter hegemonic because she was out there with Black Panther rega- regalia on. All of her dancers looked like they were from the Black Panthers. She was saying very strong things about women, Black women, being in power and claiming power and keeping their power. And that is not a hegemonic idea that's often perpetuated in the media. Usually, the people that are put up on pest- pedestals are white people. Oftentimes, middle to upper class white men are put on pedestals, and so for her to claim that space um, with such a huge audience um, would definitely be kind of a counter hegemonic performance. Totally, that's it. That's all I'm going to say about hegemony for now.
1: Okay. Do you want to jump into ideology, or you want to wait for
0: that? Um, I mean, ideologies. I mean, you kind of ex- yeah, I did you mention kind it. Of explained it. Thank you. I did mention it. Um, ideologies are part of hegemony. Like they are the the ideology of marriage, the ideology of Mm -hmm. accumulating wealth. Those are the things that hegemony is based on. Um, I would even argue that the ideology that like white people are smarter than people of color um, is something that's embedded in our society. And it's things that, you know, this stuff is subtle. Like you don't think about it. People aren't telling you that explicitly in your day-to-day life, but watch it pop up in the media. You know, look at the movies that are being played. You know, how many prominent people of color are featured that have strong roles that show them as smart leadership material creative unique you know um it doesn't come up very much and then so that perpetuates this ideology that white people are better than people of color um and i could go on a whole thing about you know transgender people as well but i'll leave it there we'll bring that we'll bring that back yeah that See, no, that was a
1: great description yeah these are all this is
0: also a very complicated term, so if you're like what <laughs> It's totally yeah fine. no,
1: totally um we'll bring it back that's a good that's a good foundation, and yeah, we'll always come back to it um surely throughout the podcast um and that is I think a nice transition also into i i brought i i dropped this term because like i'll I'll sort of just like ramble it out like it's nothing, but it's actually like this super long term that um bell hooks get, gets credit for. Um, at least for the majority of it. Um, so, cis, het, patriarchal, white supremacist, capitalist system. What? So that's a lot of. That's a lot of words. So that's one term. It's one term. <laughs> uh, we basically broke down. I mean, kind of, all, kind of this throughout our discussion this past these past forty minutes. But, um, so cis, C-I-S, is short for cisgender, which is what Melody defined for us earlier. Het refers to heteronormative or heterosexist, so this um, uh, foundation that heterosexuality is the norm and is right and and, um, has a historical legacy of being um, privileged and put in position and having more power than other kinds of sexuality. Patriarchy refers to, um, and patriarchal refers to the historical legacy of men um, having more power than women. Uh, white supremacist refers to the historical legacy of white people having more power than people of color and capitalism refers to our economic system um, in which there exists a bourgeois and a proletariat and some people own the means of production and some people produce the labor that creates the wealth for the owners and all those other folks get exploited. Um, so when we put all of those things together, I think there are a lot of scary words that people get really turned off by patriarchy, white supremacy, capitalism. People feel like, um, you know, cisgender people don't know what that is, Heter- heterosexist or heteronormative people, you know, or um... a lot of times uh, my students and people that I talk to will feel very personally attacked if they happen to be cisgender, heterosexual, mm-hmm. a man, white, yeah. and don't hate capitalism. Um, but what this really is doing more, and I've I've talked about this a, like a couple episodes ago, and I'm just going to reiterate and repeat what I just said a moment ago, that it's really referring to these historical conditions of oppression and disenfranchisement, rather than bad individual people. So we're not trying to say white people are bad or men are bad or whatever. Even though we can certainly have instances of racist white people and sexist men, what this is mostly referring to is this historical legacy and that we can't um, talk about power and oppression without acknowledging the sort of um, roots of our of our of our society that that did and in many ways still does disenfranchise and marginalize and oppress anybody who doesn't fall outside of those hegemonic norms that I just listed. So, um, that's that anything you want to add about that one?
0: No, I think that was a brilliant definition. Bell hooks cool.
1: is awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I'll link to bell hooks as well. Cause she's amazing. Um, One more before we sort of start to wrap up in this, and I actually meant to talk about this when were talking about gentrification. Um, one of our lovely listeners, my friend, Kristen. Hi, Kristen. You're amazing. Um, she's a big fan of the podcast and I just adore her because she's always down for good conversations like this. And I um, met her in my master's program and she's super smart and great. She asked me why I use this term share space. Um, last episode, I talked about sharing space with my colleagues, um, Madison and Jay. And she said, you know, she would probably just say hang out instead of sharing space. And I was like, wow, I do say share space a lot. And when I was being reflective about it, I do think that um, I hear this idea of sharing space a lot by people who think about what it means to take up space. And so, um, a sort of feminist approach to having your body in space with other people is to think about your body in relationship to systems of power in those spaces. So, when Mel was talking about gentrification, her body in a, sp- a community space means something because she's like a hip white young woman who has, you know, cultural capital or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and my body in particular spaces means different things to, you know, to, to different people um, depending on uh, depending on where I'm at, where, you know, in relation to, to who's around me and what's around me. So, um, you know, men taking up space by talking in meetings over other women, that's a use of sp- how our bodies uh. in space. Um, yeah, or like on the subway when they, man, you know, spread their legs and um, – there's a whole, you know, Tumblr about that. Um, White people taking up space like Mel, and I do really think we should have a whole episode about this, but Melody and I are taking up space on a podcast as two white women. And we're talking about issues that lots of times we talk about things that don't personally affect us like race, right? Mm -hmm. So what does it mean that we're taking up space uh, as two white women? Um, And, you know, some folks, folks would say that's whose job it is, like white people should be talking about race. And other people would say, like, let people of color tell their own stories and tell their own their own problems. And that's another reason that it felt important to me in the middle of this to be like, we're taking up space with our voices. But honestly, it's not my voice. It's like my voice that's been taught by so many people before me. Um, So that's like, uh, much deeper than just like saying I shared space with my two friends. But like, that's why I think I think about space um and what my body means in space um anything else you'd add to that mel uh
0: that i think about this concept a lot in my activism with black lives matter and that Mm -hmm. um i've learned a lot about i've learned a lot about not taking up space in those spaces and that you know white people are encouraged not even to lead chance or lead mm-hmm. anything in those spaces. And it's just so interesting because I'm such a natural born leader um, that that's my inclination, but that I have to often mm-hmm. step back and I have to tell myself to step back. I need to tell myself to not talk. Um, and I encourage, you know, people who are in more privileged positions to think about how they take up space on the daily. And if you are taking up space, if you can do good with that, as well. You know, cuz to go off what you're saying about like it is part of our job to educate people. You know, I there's plenty of people of color that say like I'm so exhausted teaching mm-hmm. white people about their own racism, you know. And so
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm like here to like help take some of that burden and I'm happy to teach people about racism, you know, and same with transphobia, you know, the, a lot of the trans community is is very I'm so thankful they like took the time to educate me on what I didn't know. Um, and so I'm taking that education to, to talk to other people. So it, the burden is not always on them. And so mm-hmm. that's also a very important thing. Um, there's a debate. There's not a clear line on, on what's better or worse or whatever, but that's, you know, as mm-hmm. being white people, I can speak for myself. I'm trying to use that to my advantage and talk to people about things. Cause for whatever reason, right. You know, my students will let me talk to them about racism and they won't push back. But if I was a woman of color, I I mean, I know my woman of color teacher friends, they get a lot of pushback when they bring up this stuff. So I try to use my privilege in that way.
1: Right, totally. And I think it goes back to what you said earlier about listening. Like, I'm not going to talk about something unless I've heard or read extensively, you know, the narratives um, of the marginalized or oppressed sort of thing that I'm talking about. Right. Um, so yeah, so that's, yeah, I think that's something that we're both really, really conscious of. And, uh, you know, that's, well, all, all of these terms, we just <laughs> spouted at you. Um, we will, we will come back to And that's why we use these terms because we use them a lot and we'll always kind of sort of try to check ourselves and explain maybe a little bit, give some context. Um, but sometimes we just get, uh, not, we haven't gotten Heated so far, but we make it heated in, in some sort of debate, and we just, you know, we'll just sort of roll through some of these <laughs> terms. Um, and uh, so, we just wanted to use this episode as you know, you can always, it'll always be here to come back to you if you want to, you know, be like, oh, minute 12, they explained this thing that confused me. So, um, so this was fun to do. It felt very much like, uh, you know, talking talk, talk, talking to my classes, and that was fun um and i think we'll we'll end there we could always do like a a round two of this if there are more terms we we love we loved getting some of the 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 couple comments that we got and we'd love if there are any terms in the future that stand out just leave a comment on our facebook or um tweet at us and let us know if if you want more explanation about something um i want to keep moving on uh mel had a great idea to this week instead of telling you what we're reading and what we're listening to we're going to specifically highlight a feminist pick of the week um I'm letting Mel take this one this week it should be no surprise to anyone considering that you hear this artist every week with us but Mel why don't you let us know who your feminist pick of the week is
0: girl party girl party (laughs) is this how much time do I got just kidding (laughs) you have Um. nine minutes (laughs) before we enter i'll get it done in nine minutes <laughs> girl party is this amazing hip-hop crew from minneapolis it includes lizzo who is a breakout hip-hop uh, rap artist that i mention a lot uh, she is wonderful but i love girl party because okay i'm just going to talk about manchita actually and it was her birthday a couple days ago I'm a little obsessed with Manchita. She is basically me because she is like me in a rap artist. I cannot even believe it. Like she makes songs about periods, like having sex on your period. She raps about that. And she'll do things like, you know, that Beyonce song, um, uh, Drunk in Love. And then there's that problematic Jay-Z rap about beating up a woman. The, yeah. Okay. When that's on in the club and she like is like co-DJing she just takes the mic and like raps over him and like has no tolerance for any of that stuff which is how I feel and I'm not a hegemonic woman if I want to use a previous term and so Mm -hmm. she just makes me feel so good about myself like validates like all of my radical politics Mm -hmm. and the type of woman that I like to be and Mm -hmm. all of them are so brilliant and so talented but their whole shtick is it's not even a shtick it's like that's uh belittling what they do but it's like strong fierce like reminiscent of riot girl from the 90s like girl Mm -hmm. power and their songs are about being strong women and not taking any crap from guys and also just being really fabulous and sexy and owning Mm -hmm. it and not feeling bad about it uh You know, saying that like they know they look famous or fabulous and they're not going to go home with you. So deal with it. You know, just Mm -hmm. all their lyrics. It just makes Mm -hmm. me so incredibly happy. And it's often because I miss the 90s hip hop scene where there were a lot of strong, fierce women artists. And they were often they often played with feminine and masculine looks, which Girl Party also does. Missy really? Elliott, yeah, Sophia, mm-hmm. Arison, Girl Party. She's often wearing these like baggy outfits, like straight up from the '90s, and she looks so good. And I just, we'll we'll get in a fight about clothing later, but like, <laughs> she just looks so good. And I, I just wish, yeah, I. So I just can't believe that they exist. And every time Manchita raps, I'm like, this is me on. This is so strange. Like you, she's kind of punk rocky too, and. I just Mm -hmm. love her. So, yeah, we always start our show off with one of their songs, and we'll probably end this episode with one of their songs, because they're just fabulous, and they're just straight up feminist, totally unapologetic about it. There also were really strong voices um, when the Black Lives Matter movement started taking off. I remember I saw them Thanksgiving, and Eric Gardner had just been killed. Is that when he got, it was like killed, or like the, it's like-
1: I think that's when the tape was released, because I think he was murdered in August. In okay. Summer, I mean.
0: Or, like, um, the decision came in to, I don't know, something horrible about Yeah, him. something happened with it in, around then, yeah. There's, like, just been so much that it's hard to keep track of every single date. But I remember it was, like, really heavy for Black Lives Matter at that moment. And they were, like, crying on stage, you know? Like, they're, like, all yeah. of our money's going to Eric Gardner, Gardner's family tonight, and, like, just literally crying on stage about racial injustice. And it's just, like... yeah amazing to see that um from artists in minneapolis and it's just i know they've inspired a lot of people so and they they make people their white audience they always make people chant black lives matter it's amazing like because our our rap scene here can be pretty white unfortunately i yeah even though we have a lot of Black people that are up here. I'm just stereotyping who listens to rap music. But anyways, it's a lot of white people. And so they really like to push the buttons. It's like, you're going to come to our show. You're going to yeah. hear about bloody tampons. Oh, Manchita threw bloody tampons into oh, the God. stage. I mean, they're fake. I know. <laughs> Rachel likes to speak of periods less than I do. So I'll always take yes. the helm on that one. But um, like fake bloody tampons. But she threw tampons yeah. into the audience. <laughs> hello oh so I just for all those reasons do I love Girl Party our feminist pick of the week
1: yes and I just would say thank you Melody for introducing me to them I probably they probably would have come on my radar at some point but um you were definitely the first to to mention them to me and um yeah they're I love them for all those reasons I haven't been able to see them live yet which I'm bummed about but um uh their music is also just like really like it's like really good and amps you up and like, it's, it's great. And, um, yeah, so we are happy to feature them. Uh, we'll have them as our outro song and that's it for today. Any, any other last words? No,
0: thank you everybody for listening and all the comments and all the love. It's, it's great.
1: Yeah, we love it. We love hearing. We love knowing people are listening to us and with us. And we we, we just want to keep talking to you guys. We want to start conversations. We don't just want to talk at you. So keep keep being present on social media. Um, one two three w, WTF power. Yep. Okay. One two two three W C F power. power. We'll get it right. We'll get it right. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Blow no bullet holes when I fight I knock a sucker out one light, two lights It's getting kind of dark and you're worried about it Cause we hit like a hell no party Pro every kind of girl in the whole wide world I'm never gonna call you a a B, you're a
1: whore No shame showing off for going off and filling up all your holes This is for you no want to watch you to tag it All the way up to the bank You can catch it on location you deserve it, baby, no playing it uh, Coming too heavyweight since last Something new, kind of unexpected Who knew we couldn't wait another day to get a team in the game Make a place wasted the same <gasps> old We go bar if you go home, huh? ha! Not your fault
0: though bro cuz as far as rap skills go it's like i want to fucking lie though yo down it Goin' for your
1: friends that we on With the beat up on the chest and calm Rumble in the jungle, honey, crumble All the knowledge you got from the king up on the top party What's black, we tell that the big thing that they set them them the gay the motherfuckers straight. Now and have it all the we warin', dragon blazin' with the omen that we takin'. What is Odin? Bout up at the top of the chopper block. What's hot? What's, What's not? Who better get the duck on a track, tryna to get it quack? Better slide at the back, hold on his because 'cause he he'll put his in attack by the girls in the black. beat it, militia. Learn up the pictures, fuckin' up the pictures, trying not to hit you too hard. Oh, now he claim he a feminist. Oh,
0: I I I am so hungry, haven't eaten in a week. All I do is outlast you and flush them fellas in a skin. Draino, basics look confused. What, what? Basic niggas, ask me how Who? I be throwing shade and you be throwing in a tag. No. In a minute, Lizzo Ren is in it. I be president and you see baby I Lewinsky. I D G A F F you feel me, but you was why y'all up Dumbo slapping while I'm rapping so mad that ain't active. My mentions are packed with comments, questions, concerns, you bum And I know me, but he's the girl. Oh. If you really wanna get to the nitty-gritty Got a bunch of girlfriends that we also did We don't wear brass bro cause we burned them off Cause our titties so hot, call it fire sauce You don't got the bash for this hella bash Every dude that wanna do me looking up for Don't play me fuck nigga, I ain't out for laughs Do I look like I'm kidding? Pray till we're kidding Our mother Who art in heaven Hollow be thy game